The Glue Guys is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Nets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest and easiest way to get in the game. I'm telling you, if you want to find a deal on last-minute tickets, go to GameTime. It is so fast and easy. Head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Alright, well, welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here, Salem Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BK Glue Guys. Check us out on The Athletic and Brian the Nets are back. Oh, jeez, Mike, that's too much. That is too much for for after everything we've seen. I have a sour stomach. I have a sour <laughs> spirit. Um, my heart's not in it right now. Okay, Mike, I can't I can't keep up your with that. Your heart's kind of not in it. Why is your no? My heart's in, in it. it. My heart's in it. My heart's in it. That Aww, was a little... Brian. <laughs> stop! Don't do that. Um, Brian, stop that! Stop that! Um, yeah, that was a heartbreaker. Hey, uh, full disclosure: Mike and I were at the game last night. Heck of a time. Heck of a time. Tremendous. We were treated like royalty as usual. Yeah. That's the kind of lifestyle that we live as we show up to Barclays. Um, I said to Brian and I went to a bar before the game and a lot of Nets fans and I looked around, I looked right at Brian and said, do you think we'll be recognized that we're the glue guys? You know, there were these icons <laughs> among the Nets <laughs> fan base. Yeah. And it, you, you wouldn't <laughs> guess recognized. it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. That did not happen. I was, um, I was even talking loudly. So hopefully like someone like I was, oh, were t- you? was that I, on purpose? I noticed you were talking a little loud. Yeah. I get, I was getting excited. I was pretty loud the whole night. I'll admit. Yeah. You're fired up. Um, Let's go. Lots Nets. to be excited about. Lots to be excited about. Um, do you want to talk about some of the pageantry of the pregame before we actually talk about the on court? Because the on court stuff, there's a lot to discuss. Ultimately, everyone knows it was a sad ending. Um, but lots to unpack, Mike, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So, admittedly, extremely a cool moment when they're going through the introductions. They bring down, what did you, you describe it as, like a futuristic phone booth? Is what yeah, it's like a chupa, right? That that <laughs> oh my god, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. A chupa, yeah. look at yeah. you. Yeah, um, like future chupa. So what they did, I don't know if they, I'm sure they showed it on TV in some form or fashion, but maybe not in its entirety. But the Nets brought down to the corner of the court this gigantic video screen wrapped around, looked like wrapped around a futuristic telephone booth. And they'd each player come out through smoke. It was awkward at times, but awe-inspiring. Brian got goosebumps. Admittedly, so, got goosebumps. This is, this is this is fake news. Uh, I'm deeply, profoundly Irish, and I have you know <laughs> like pock skin on my arms all the time, twenty four seven. This is a state of being. And Mike, I know that Mike was looking. I could feel his eyes scanning my body <laughs> for some kind of reaction when Kyrie Irving was doing his speech. Um, that was a moment. It didn't matter what was happening. He was going to make fun of me for having goosebumps. Absolute um, moment. No, I wasn't. I, I kind of rubbed your arm because I was so excited. <laughs> when I get excited, I just start grabbing people around me and just start hugging them yeah. and pulling them in. And as I, I pulled you have. in, I felt like a, I don't even, it was like a the opposite of an orange. You know, an orange dimples in. This was dimpling out. It was, 
It was like a plucked uh, turkey. That's yeah. what you felt like. That's because you were how so I jazzed. Feel. Yeah, no, it's true. I had a little go- I had a little goose bump, you know, okay? Um, Guilty as charged. Okay, so kind of like walk through the moment. So the players are walked out. The first player introduced is Kevin Durant through the smoke. He's wearing, you know, his blazer and pants. He's wearing pants, everyone. He's wearing we're, pants. We're going to do each individual no, but, intro? What but are we doing here? The moment when Kevin Durant did walk through, you know, like there's all these like mini moments of like realization that Kevin Durant is really a net even though he's not playing basketball. When he walked through the smoke and when he, being the first player introduced – and it's like, holy S, you know, this guy, this mm. major figure in the history of the NBA, an NBA champion, MVP, I think he's won an MVP. Yeah, he he won an MVP. Um, he's a freaking Brooklyn net. And, mm. I, you know, then we'll get into sort of how he was throughout the whole game because he was <laughs> sitting on the bench with his teammates. Um, and then, so then the rest of them, like a lot of people walk through very awkward, awkwardly and slowly. The best person of the night was Jared Allen. Yeah, he sprinted through it. That was perfect. Like, and was laughing as he was sprinting through. Because it was very, it's like the scene of a wedding when you have, like, the really awkward groomsman yeah. who's slowly kind of walking down the aisle and not sure why he's just walking down the aisle by himself. He's not even accompanying a bridesmaid. It's one of those type of circumstances. Mm-hmm. It had good, uh, like, Napoleon Dynamite vibes, him sprinting through. And then Kyrie Irving comes out, loudest ovation. Kyrie you know, they they have a thing where they, this happens in every NBA arena for like the beginning of the season, but the star of the team comes out and addresses the fan base. Well, how would you describe what, what Kyrie said and his overall like sort of vibe as he talked to the fans? Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much what he said is what he said was like standard stuff. Um, but his obvious appeal to emotion there, he felt um, slightly overcome. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that um, I mean, there was a real pop in the crowd. Um, there was a vibe. I may have gotten chicken pox. Oh, wait, not chicken pox. What do they call that? <laughs> Goosebumps. <laughs> I may have caught a disease from that. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a it's an emotional connection that it's like it feels instantaneous right now with Kyrie Irving. Like, um, it's funny how that can happen. A guy who like generally I didn't think about in the NBA world that much. You know, like he's been on teams that don't really involve the Nets a ton and the Nets haven't been great. So, you know, we don't play like a bunch of competitive games. Um, so I just don't think about him that often. And all of a sudden, like he's your boy for life. Um, it's just, it's just, um, it's incriminating almost how fast you can build those bonds with, with sports stars. And like, but, but him specifically, because he's made such a big deal about this is his homecoming and this is where he wants to be. And this is where he is all maybe not always wanted to be, but where he's felt very, that's, that's really all that needs to be said. And then you're like, Oh, I'm you're my dog for life. That's yeah. it. So it, it, you know, he paused, he, he was speaking and he paused and he said, Oh, the moment's hitting me or something. And I was hoping tears would flow. They didn't flow, but, um, that was it was cool to be in the arena for that moment to see Kyrie really announcing himself in the regular season, Kevin Durant being there, seeing those two people that we've talked about so much in the run up to the season to actually have them, you know, in front of your eyes in the same building and you kind of see how they're interacting with the rest of their teammates. And then the rest of the game played out and awful first half, great second half, and a disappointing overtime. And that's the game. There you go. That's the analysis. What do you think? Um, you did it. Um, that's <laughs> right. it. Let's get out of here. Oh, uh, by the way, we should have mentioned when we started the show that, and um, it'll be in the show notes, but we have an interview with Richard Jefferson coming up in the podcast. Um, in this podcast? Yeah, in this podcast. We we oh. have, at the end of this podcast, you're going to hear 30 minutes of Richard Jefferson and us talking about 
the next season. Talking. You should record an intro for that. That that's properly bearing the lead. Otherwise, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I'll let. How about I go back and do that? But I'm going to leave this bit in so everyone knows that that's what happened previously. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, so you'll hear Richard Jefferson coming up, which probably matters more than what we think of the game. But a phenomenal game. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Oh my God. In per it like. The idea that people were saying that, like, uh, somebody quoted, like, I think it was on our Discord, someone was like, the idea that somebody is saying that D'Angelo Russell is 90% of Kyrie Irving now seems, like, just at after one game, <laughs> like, laughable. Um, it is it is really, like, it's great to see a, I hate to say this, this is not a knock on D'Angelo Russell, but watching a fast point guard is really good. It's really fun. Um <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, it just means he can do so much more. And we were talking about this after we left the game. Just, like, it's hard not to, um, like, compare the two. And I don't, you know, it doesn't feel good because you love D'Angelo Russell. Um, and I love D'Angelo. And everyone should love D'Angelo Russell. Um, but you can't sort of help but but make those comparisons. <clears throat> and um, it really is sort of like night and day when you really unpack the particulars of how they go about what they're doing on the court. And it, it was just, like, obvious immediately the differences. Yeah. and And, like, so... There's a certain level of NBA superstar, superstardom. There are, you know, really good players. There's all stars, and then there's superstars. And like, yeah, you can you can blend. You could say one guy is in one group or the other. But like, definitively, seeing Kyrie in person is a totally different experience than seeing almost any, really any point guard right now in the NBA. Just ball skills, his like complete drive. I mean, he shot 33 shots in this game. And very few, I don't really remember any of them that felt like a bad shot. You know what I mean? Like, he, he yeah. did kind of go into traffic without abandon or with abandon. I'm not sure which one it would be. Well, it, the thing is, it's it's not, it's, he goes into traffic, but it doesn't feel like with abandon. It's like, it's he's one of the, like, if he gets double teamed, he just, like, puts his head down and goes into the guy's chest. That's coming, it's unbelievable how ballsy he is. Just, like, his his confidence in his ball handling is, like, really, truly second to none. And he, and he was doing it at times in the game when, like, the Nets' offense really kind of w- was stagnant. Him and his relationship between him and Jared Allen, the pick-and-roll relationship, is not there yet. That was obvious to see because Jared well, Allen... All of the pick-and-rolls, every, everyone's oh. pick-and-roll, or, like, anyone's relationship <laughs> with passing to any of our bigs was fucked up. <laughs> it was just not working out on you any know, level. So, like, DeAndre Jordan, so we'll, we'll talk a lot. Of, I mean, like, we're not going to, like, belabor the game too much. We wanna, we're going to hit through a bunch, but, like... One major thing is the center scored a total of eight points. Your Jared Allen, your young budding star center, and DeAndre Jordan, a former you know All NBA center who's now your backup, definitively your backup center, combined to score eight points. And they only had DeAndre Jordan down as only having one field goal attempt, though he was given four lobs that were the range from like questionable to horrific in terms of the passes that were made to him. Pretty much none of those lobs should have been thrown to him. We don't know. Like, we talked about this. It's like they thought DeAndre was going to revert back to 2013 DeAndre. When he's, like, he's old He's old DeAndre Jordan now. That's what he is. He's going to be a little bit more on he, the ground. Even he was like, why are you doing it? Like, yeah. didn't see. He's like, what? You think I can get that? I can't get that. Uh, actually, I just watched a clip, and he's like, he is pointing to the sky in a couple of these. So oh, is he? he is. Yeah. Can you see that? <laughs> I yeah I mean in that one clip I just watched um so, yeah. yeah so so like okay the positives negatives just easily breaking it down Kyrie you know 50 points seven assists eight rebounds was not even that he was just unstoppable but a key 
shredded multiple layers of the Timberwolves' defense and was the reason why the Nets were even able to get it to overtime because pretty much no one else like really stepped up to even like 80% of the level of Kyrie. I, I don't want to continue to just like have a Kyrie gush fest. I mean, to, if you're going to do it, today's the day, I guess. Um, but like, there's so many things to enjoy about watching that dude's game. Like, like, just, and also hate to do it, but comparing D'Angelo Russell to them. Yes, we were talking about this after leaving the game last night. That like any type of drive that D'Angelo Russell did always seemed to end with like an underhand. His layups always come from like they always they like land on the rim. They they bounce around a little bit, and Kyrie Irving's always feel very angled, very tight. There's a whole lot of like body control with that dude. That um is is just new and different and really fun to watch. Like I like his ability to finish is really crazy good. And I think you know because obviously the, the Nets have had a really strange preseason. They go to China, they the, the whole crazy China situation. They don't know if they're going to play the games. They end up playing the games. They come back blah 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 blah. So like we know like they've had an odder preseason than most teams. Um so one thing that distinctly stood out to me and it's been talked about some about how many new players are actually on this team because half the team is completely new, is that this team is not fully formed, nor should they be. But there was a lot of the time when, like, Torian Prince, who had a good game, 15 points, 11 rebounds, whatever, he was feisty, very feisty. He actually got the most minutes out of any of the Nets. Um, He really was unsure of where he should be on offense when Kyrie was doing what he wanted to do in the pick-and-roll situation. Joe Harris had a... Pretty horrible first half, at least just an uneventful first half, to be kind. And he came back and had, like, a really good solid second half. Karras was unsure. It's just everyone's still sort of unsure about where they should be, which is going to happen. This team has a lot of new players. It's just that there was a lot of uncertainty and there was no gelling. And I think part of that is a symptom of going to China and the preseason kind of being thrown away. <laughs> Seriously. Blaming China. Thrown away. Yeah, I'm going to do that all season. That and uh, <laughs> D'Angelo Russell. I'll just blame him all yeah. season, too. For I mean, we missed, like, 500 layups in the beginning of that game uh, last night. Like, I, you know, I'm not, like, generally too worried about what I saw. Just, like, the first half for Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, and Joe Harris was just gross. Um, and so we went down by, like, you know, 17 at one point or something. Um and if that doesn't happen, then I think that's a and we coast to an easy ten point victory last night um, instead of having to come from behind and do all that hard work. Um, so I'm like, you know, I'm not rushing to judgment about like our gel abil- our ability to gel or anything like that. That that doesn't necessarily concern me. Uh, we're gonna start not passing the ball to our centers, which is fine with me. Um, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, and and so like. There's, like, levels of things that will unlock the team, and it's Kyrie and Jared Allen, like, actually figuring out what to do. It's Jared Allen, like, really figuring out, okay, this is where I should be when Kyrie's doing his thing. Because Kyrie is a difficult... Like, D'Angelo was, like, a very sort of understandable ball handler off of a pick and roll because he basically did the same thing. He actually would never actually go to the hoop, which helps a roll man because if you're a center rolling to the hoop and then your point guard also happens to be going to the hoop at the same pace... It clutters up the around the basket and all that stuff. Where D'Angelo like pretty much never went to the hoop. He was mm-hmm. trying to get around the pick and roll to get off a shot or just to make that little pass to Jared Allen, who was rolling to the hoop. Kyrie's well, going to try to score. You know, and, that's the difference. D'Angelo would always try to keep his defender on his hip and do that keep him in jail thing, um, which is what you do if you're larger and not faster than the person you're guarding or that's guarding you. Whereas Kyrie Irving will just roast that dude, uh, and that'll be that. 
One of my favorite things, so obviously Kyrie is sort of famously not a good defender, though he's had some good moments in the NBA Finals defensively, but we were tracking this all game. Andrew Wiggins ends up with 21 points and 8 rebounds, so it, so like you kind of look at the game, you're like, oh, if you just saw that, you would think pretty decent game. Though he shot the ball 27 times to get 21 points. He had no threes, he had no assists, so he's really just, you know, complete black hole offensively besides his own little scoring there. Um it is an insult if you're Andrew Wiggins and you're supposed to be at a certain level. You know, you're supposed to be a, a, supposed to be pretty good, not an all-star, but pretty damn good, that Kyrie was asking to switch on to him so Kyrie could get a break defensively. Like, for about a quarter of the time Kyrie was on the floor, he was guarding Andrew Wiggins because he just wanted to guard someone who was going to be easy, and that's <laughs> yeah. Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this. Andrew Wiggins is <clears throat> this is like a not a great analysis, but it's – the only like accurate like way to explain why he isn't better just a it's a feel for the game thing you you get the sense that he really doesn't have an idea what he's going to do offensively until he starts doing it and then he's just locked into that decision and it's like why why what are we doing why are you doing this um i would be really frustrated if i were a timberwolves fan and had to watch a ton of andrew wiggins because it's not super great i think i should be an assistant coach for the Timberwolves because all the guys that I loved on the Nets are now playing big minutes for the Timberwolves. Travion Graham got 35 minutes last yeah, night. Yeah, I know. It's, it's insane. insane. And he played really well. It was like, yeah, we're... And he was like, yeah, he did a lot of a lot of stuff I didn't see last year. What was that? What was that about? And Shabazz Napier got... Or Shabazz Napier got 21 minutes, which, uh, you know, we're all happy for him because he, it was obvious that he was better than the role that he was in for the Nets. He just, they didn't need him. They actually kind of need him this year, though. You know who's a uh, real tough cover for Jared Allen? Who? Is your boy Carl. Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, that... They so do. it's funny to think of his name as Carl. At the, <laughs> yeah. You know, just Carl. Um, that... I, I mean, I've... Whatever, watched clips of Carl Anthony Towns and like know that he's good or whatever, but like he is really good. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, that he could just like jab step you. And then his, um, mechanics on his three pointer is so fast for his size. He, uh, it just like really flicks it up there. Um, he's good. Like, and it's my diagnosis. It feels so. I was kind of positive on Jared Allen's defense early in the game. Cause I'm thinking this is a lot to ask any center, but that's what you have to do to guard Carl Anthony Towns at the three-point line and be able to handle not letting him shoot threes, but then, like, be close enough to him that if he starts driving, you have to stay on his hip so that he just doesn't blow right by you. Like, it is it is kind of jaw-dropping to see a guy like that in person, this quote-unquote unicorns. But, like, he even more than, like, Porzingis. Porzingis is, like, its own his own little creature because he's even taller. But he's less of a... Towns is just like a monster out there. Like he was just, he could do pretty much anything. And he is about like 35 pounds on Jared Allen. Um, we really need our boy Jared Allen to, to just work on getting that ball in the hoop because he is. I'll, I'll even take you one further. I think his, the, some of the issues with him are that. So he's not big enough to guard a person like Jared, uh, like uh, Carl Anthony Towns in the post. He's not, Fast enough to not bite on his like you know jab step like pump fakes and stuff like he he bites on those fakes all the time. I want him to be better at like man to man defense. Not even, like his team defense is fine. Yeah. I like I'm, I'm cool with him roving around for blocks and like just generally being intimidating or whatever. But like when he gets isolated, it's not great. Um, and he just bites on fakes really easily. Is is my issue with him? Yeah, and so we got like five. I think it was five blocks last night. 
And like he actually started the game with not being all that productive. I mean, the Nets overall started the game in a pretty sad state. It was 33-22 at the end of the first quarter. Um, the Nets were down for most of the second quarter. Then, I mean, they were down for the whole second quarter, but they came roaring back and brought it within you know under 10 points or whatever before the half. Um, you know, the problem with the, the, the reason why they lost this game is that no one else but Kyrie basically could make a play at the end of the game. Like, Karras tried but couldn't. Jared Allen couldn't hit those free throws. Torian Prince really wasn't doing much of anything. Joe Harris did make a few threes by the end of the game. That really helped, but, you know. Yeah. Some jitters. I mean, yeah. we were smoking layups. Like, I mean, some there's a whole new set of expectations. Um, it doesn't... Uh, it's not, yeah, it's not super galling to me or whatever. Like, I, I get why they were super amped up. Like, Harris Levert in particular felt like he was just, like, really missing badly at point-blank range on multiple shots. Well, and, like, so I'm looking, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm looking back at last season's opening night just to get a sense of, like, who did well to start the season or to end, like, you know, to begin the season and who did poorly or something, you know, just to get, like, a sense of, like, okay, what did the start of the season look like? Well, the Nets lost the opening game last season to the Pistons as well. You know, the Bucks beat the Hornets just by one point. You know, so, like, you'll see, I mean, it's the NBA itself, and we always overrate the start of something as opposed to, you know, looking, I mean, that's all we have to work off of. That's our only data point. It stinks that they lost to the Timberwolves at home, in a game at home, where there's all this excitement. But if you track the game, they the Nets played poorly to begin. They were disjointed. They get this supernova performance from Kyrie Irving, which just reaffirmed every feeling that you had about this being the guy, right? Like, that was amazing to see. Um, and they brought the game back, and they forced overtime. And unfortunately, in overtime, they didn't make work. And the final thing I'll say, Brian, mm-hmm. the refs were completely in the pocket of the Timberwolves. Completely yeah, in the that's pocket. That's true. Some Tim Donahue stuff right there. I don't know. <laughs> Got to do some background checks. The NBA obviously wants the Timberwolves to thrive and the Nets to fail. That is obvious. It's it's uh, I mean it's Kyrie bias is what it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, so it, it you know being walking out of that game, it actually so we, when Kyrie the, talk about that final shot where Kyrie is being guarded by Josh Kogi, he's he the the Nets decide they're going to take the whole. The whole time, the rest of the remaining of the game, they're down by a point or whatever, and they're they're going to make the decision that we're going to take the last shot or just about the last shot that we can get to that as the clock runs out, and he falls, slips down on the ground. But Brian, have you seen the video replay of when he slips down on the ground? Do you think it was a NBA Street maneuver? I don't, but if you watch the TV feed of it, it may like because we saw it in person, it was obvious that he slipped. Like, yeah. But if you watch the TV feed of it, because of the angle, it's up higher. It does look like, like he was doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, and if if he had hit, th- I mean, okay, if he had hit that shot, we can you know tear down Barclays Center and you know just have like an absolute party because mm-hmm. that would have been you know one of the greatest regular season shots in Nets history <clears throat> at that point. Um, but like I don't know, something. what was your feeling walking out of the game? Did you like? Because I I felt. Positive. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't like purely butthurt. I mean, I was butthurt to a degree, obviously. Right. Um, but like, I mean, watching Kyrie, I, mean, I, I felt comfortable 
in the arms of Kyrie Irving and just <laughs> knowing knowing that I would also be shared by the arms of Kevin Durant with that combination just felt it just I felt safe. I felt cared for, you know. I generally feel okay. How good would this team be with Kevin Durant, huh? It would be, yeah, it's going to be really it's, it's going to be, be really fun. cool. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be dope fun kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um just two just two more stats and I don't know maybe maybe we can go but Look at the plus, I know, plus minus, whatever, but look at the plus minus of the starters versus the bench. I mean, Atkinson basically went full starters and then full bench. There was some overshading, like Kyrie was with the bench unit a little bit, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, for the most part, all the starters played together, and then for the most part, a lot of the bench unit, besides, like, Torrey and Prince got some room with the bench, they all played together. The bench, mm. ineffective. Dinwiddie ended up with 14 points, which is fine, but beyond him, there was only seven points to be had from the bench unit, which you're going to want more out of the bench. Um, I was kind of calling for Musa a little bit. Give me a little Musa. Yeah. Musa dash. Um, you know, it's di- a disjointed, exciting, about as disjointed and exciting uh, a loss at home against a team that probably won't be in the playoffs could be. Just phenomenal. I mean, I, I can't get over Kyrie. It was... Mm. That it's just it was such a joy to see him on the floor in a Nets jersey and play the way that he, he did. He plays the way like I I play like NBA two K like that. It's like really just cartoonishly <laughs> good. Like he just it's just like like he'll miss a three, track down his own rebound, and then take a worse three and then make that one. You know, like that kind of stuff, which is you know that shouldn't be. Shouldn't be you shouldn't be doing it, but it it works for him because he's just a special boy, you know. I actually like the fact that he took he took three thirty three shots. I actually liked that. Like I like that he was so aggressive in hunting for his own shots or trying. Yeah, once he found out that nobody else could hit a shot, he was like, yeah. "Forget this." Yeah, I'm well, I'm a little <laughs> yeah. worried. Oh, yeah. so I did want to talk about. I don't know if you care this that much about it, but I, I do care. I don't know why I care. I, I shouldn't, but like Kevin Durant's bench vibe. Okay. Mm. And Did you like it? I I enjoyed. I okay. I don't know why I'm saying I was impressed by it because how soon before he's got a clipboard? Like that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Is he gonna have the the Jeremy Lin clipboard? So he's he's basically gonna be as good as Jeremy Lin as a, uh, as an assistant coach. Um, that that was like the cutest thing in the world when they gave. They're like, hey, Jeremy, do you want a clipboard? <laughs> that's... Feel involved. Here's a clipboard. I did see, by the way, I did see uh, Durant with, he got like the box score, you know, after the third quarter when they hand around the box scores to the players or the coaches or whatever. He did have that. He was looking at it with DeAndre Jordan. They were going over whatever stats were on that sheet. I thought we're entering clipboard territory at that point. Um, No, so what he was doing, he was sitting mostly next to DeAndre Jordan. He got up a couple of times, like after a big play. Had that burst explosion off the bench, Brian. I mean, my biggest takeaway is he's not that far from playing. You know, I don't, you know, they talk about, you know, uh, eight to ten month injury. I think he's ready to play for Christmas. You know what I mean? What do you wow. think? Um, that's a spicy take. I'm kidding. But, I mean, my overall, what I was looking for out of Kevin Durant, him sitting on the bench, was basically how engaged would he be with the rest of his teammates because he's in this awkward position of, of being the leader of the team, you know, he should be from his place in NBA history and his skill, but going to a new team and being hurt and likely missing the full season, you know, whatever may happen at the end of the season, we don't know. But so 
I would, you know, like, it, it would make sense that he would not be as engaged in what's happening on the floor because he knows he can't contribute at least for another five, you know, months or so. But, at, at you know, at worst, it could be next season at this time is when he's actually on the floor. Mm. Um, but he was engaged. He was talking to his teammates. He was celebrating for his teammates when they made a good play. Um, there was, like, I think it was, like, one Jared Allen block where Jared Allen, like, smothered Trey, uh, Robert Covington or something. And KD shot up from the bench. And, you know, like, it was it was good to see. They should just have a KD cam on him on yes, just so everyone can see what we're yeah, seeing. Yeah, there you go. Now you're talking. Um, anything else for you before we go? Um, no, I think that's it. Um, shout out to people in Twitch uh, in the chat. Genus13 was saying, at one point it looked like KD was subbing people in. Did you catch that, Mike? What? Did he Did he direct people to go He's, in and out? He was directing traffic, yeah. Abs- that's exactly what I want to see. Um, uh, you know, fire Kenny Atkinson, bring in Kevin Durant. That's what I want to see. Sorry for the other people that have been chatting. I my my uh, chat thing just refreshed. Um, but if you're not watching the show live, you got to do that. Twitch.tv backslash glue guys and join the Discord. It's in our uh, invite is in our Twitter bio at BK glue guys. Like and also we should do some emails soon. Yes, let's do uh, let's do and email listener voicemails. Yes. Yeah, so next week, what we'll do is we'll do <clears throat> listener emails and voicemails, netspod at Gmail. Send them in. We're going to play voicemails again. We have the capabilities now that we're with The Athletic. We have the capabilities. Um, we'll do it. I mean, let's make a big old beautiful we'll, pod we'll like we used to. No, don't even. We'll do it. We'll, it's, it's on the schedule. I will send you a Google invite as I speak right now. Okay. I actually won't do that. Um So coming up, you're going to hear Richard Jefferson, our interview, the definitive Richard Jefferson interview, uh, coming up right now. So obviously, we're talking before the the Nets play the Timberwolves tonight. I mean, this team is, you know, incredibly different from where it was a year ago. The main driving difference between what they were this year compared to last year is the fact that D'Angelo Russell is out. Kyrie Irving is in. You played with Kyrie Irving. Um, Yes. Just like, give me, there's two parts of Kyrie. It's on the court playing with him and then all the discussion about him off the court. But as a player playing with him, what's it like to actually play with a Kyrie and what does he present as a point guard? Well, well, Kyrie is a person, Kyrie, Kyrie is a person that is, is very, very different, difficult um, to try and not just watch because he's so talented. He's so good. He's so much fun. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's stuff that, like, any player, like, I, I, I've been in a position where, you know, depending on who I was playing with, you get an awe of kind watching him. And the way he can move with the ball, the things that he can do, it's so, so special. Um, I think Kyrie is a, is a, is a, when, when it's, I don't know what's the best way to describe him off the court, but Kyrie is a person that he's very, very intelligent. He's, he's very, very thoughtful. He's a person that I, I think at times, you know, is trying to think his way through certain problems or to certain situations. And I think that's where I think people misunderstand him a little bit. So just like looking around prognostications about this season, I was even looking at like 538.com who has them at like 39 wins getting snubbed. Where do you have the Nets in general, like win-wise? And uh, why do you think that some people have them like even being worse than last year? Is that a indictment of Kyrie or what's going on with that? Well, I think, I, I think you know, everyone wants to make these things and, and these little projections. 
I always like to start the season if everyone is healthy. If everyone is healthy for or you have the normal amount of injuries or people missing games for whatever, you know, a week here, two weeks there, uh, I think the Nets will be right in the middle of that playoff stuff. I think if they play their best brand of basketball, I think they'll be, you know, they have a chance for home court uh, in the East. Um, you know, but there's still a lot of a lot of games, a lot of things that 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 need to take place. I love the Nets' depth. I, I think adding Torian Prince is, is a big, uh, it was a big thing for them. Um, DeAndre, um, uh, DeAndre Jordan is is a huge because you had Jared Allen, you had a great rim protector, um, but DeAndre Jordan is another person that when Jared Allen goes in the game. It, it doesn't matter. One of those guys is going to be trying to block shots, and I think there's a chance that they could play together at certain times. So I really like the Nets depth, and I like their versatility. They have a lot of wing players, Spencer Dimwitty, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, uh, Torian Prince. You know, they have a lot of perimeter guys that can, that can do things next to Kyrie, and I think that's a bonus for them. What, what's so playing in terms of differing styles? So, you know, a lot of people that listen to us, a lot of them are Nets fans. They saw Kyrie, you know, a couple times a season when they would either, when the Nets would play the Celtics or play the Cavs. What what does Kyrie bring to the floor in terms of his playing style? You know, he's going to be compared so much for Nets fans to D'Angelo Russell, but they're two vastly different players, at least running a team. What's Kyrie going to do, at least with the ball in his hands? Well, I, I, I think he, I think it's unfair to compare the two of them, uh, you know, just because you're replacing one. It's like don't compare Kemba Walker, uh, who's replacing Kyrie. Uh, you know, they play the same position, but they're, they're, they're the way they go about things. Kyrie is is a guy that that scores and scores. His skill level, he can't be guarded by one person. Um, he's a person that needs to be guarded by two most of the time. And I think that's something that Kyrie has worked very, very hard on in, in the, the last couple of years is navigating double teams, navigating blitzes, which is a double team and a pick and roll because he's so, so good. Um, and, and I think this is a lot of it falls on Kenny Atkinson and, and that group of figuring out the best way like to have guys. I think the ball moves a little bit more um, I think with D'Angelo, but the ball should stop when you have a guy like Kyrie. The ball stops when you have a guy like James Harden, or the ball stops when you have a guy uh, like Giannis on your team that can create so much for himself and others, and I think that's what Kyrie's going to do uh, a great job of this year. Let me ask you about something I think you're going to, I'm fascinated about, it was one of my favorite storylines this summer, and I think that you're, you were fascinated as well from what I can tell from your social media activity. Kevin Love, Kevin Love's summer of yeah. exploration. Um, what let us in behind? Because you, I, I would constantly see Kevin Love post a picture in some beautiful location, and then you inevitably commenting right below that. What has been your take on the Kevin Love summer of exploration that he went on? You, you were hilarious underneath his comments on Instagram. <laughs> well, I, I think Kevin, you know, he he was a guy that had you know had not made the postseason. Uh, and then he went four straight years to, to the NBA Finals or were a part of those teams one of the years he was injured. Uh, and, and, and it can be trying. It can, you know, limit, you know, what you can do as a person and as an individual. And, and this is not a negative thing, but if you're playing till June and you got to be ready to go again in September, you know, your opportunities to see the world, your opportunities to grow as an individual through experiences, um, I think that can be limiting. And so for him to say, hey, look, man, this is the first year I haven't made the postseason. I'm in a position now where I really want to explore the world. 
and I think he did a great job of it. Now, was he dressed like a cowboy when he would go to <laughs> to Yosemite? Then was he dressed like a a, a, a wilderness person when he was uh, up in Alaska or wherever he was? Yes, but it was fun. It was funny. He was living the life that I think people would live if you were in his position. And I think that's always the best way to live, like live a life that I think people um, would be happy to see you living. And and Kevin, I mean, I want people to remember what Kevin looked like coming out of UCLA, right? Kevin was yeah. Yeah. was a bulkier dude. He had he had a totally different look and he's totally redone himself and now he's you know, out, he's what is he a model for Banana Republic? I think it is. Oh my God, he swears he's the best looking person in the world. It, it's so amazing. He's got a beautiful, beautiful girlfriend who uh, Kate Buck, who's not only beautiful but she's an amazing person. She's so so awesome and so sweet. Uh, like he he really got way too lucky. He overachieved mm. with her. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and or so we could just say she's underachieving with Kevin. Right. Uh, but you no, know, I, I, I think that, you know, watching Kevin and watching the work that he puts in, um, it is it's so impressive. Like Kevin like like when you got LeBron and you got Kyrie and you got all of these guys, I, I put Delhi up there. You know, Kyrie uh Kevin was probably, you know, the hardest worker on the team. Right, like right there, like every day, relentlessly. Um, there's been so much said about what Bron spends on personal training and diet, and Kevin is right there next to him. Uh, when you talk about a person that spends so much time on the gym, trying to sculpt his body, meeting with different nutritionists, meeting with different, um, you know, body mechanic people, and if this is your job, then you need to treat it like a job. And I think guys are doing so much, so much more. Um, they're doing a better job of it so much more now than they did 10, 15 years ago, especially when I came into the league. Mm. So uh, let me ask you this. One of my favorite things about your particular brand of analysis um, when you're in the broadcast booth is your willingness to disparage Nick's fans, fan base, the franchise in general, um, <laughs> which is something that as a guy, I grew up in New Jersey during the 90s. Uh, so we, I had to deal with plenty, the worst kind of Nick's fan, really which is a Knicks fan from New Jersey. Um, <laughs> so uh, in going into the season where, you, you know, it's hard not to say that, like, kind of, like, beat them out a little bit for getting getting the uh, top free agents. Uh, do you feel bad trolling Knicks fans <laughs> this season, or does it feel better than ever? What kind of troll, like, empathy are you working with? I, you know what? I don't wish anything negative on Nick fans. I think Nick fans get a little sensitive mm, um, yeah, at times. And you should. You should be frustrated. You should be sensitive. You know, I, I made some comments about um, the team this year that the only thing they should look forward to, they're like, oh, give us something that the Knicks should look forward to. And I said, April 25th and July uh, and June 23rd. They should look forward to the end of the season, and they should look forward to whatever pick they're going to get in the draft. Um, all right, and that's and that's my opinion. And it's not. And look, I understand, but the Nick fans, oh look, 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 look. They have some talent. They have some hardworking yeah. person. I love Coach Fizdale. I think Fizdale is a very, very good coach. But at the end of the day, when you look at how much talent you need to accumulate to win in this league, and they're not, they're not there yet. And one thing for Nick fans is, oh, you guys are always trolling. Does it understand, Nick fans? Your attention is purely location based. If your roster was in a city like, let's say, St. Louis, because I don't want to kill any NBA city. <laughs> if your team was in Seattle, we would not be talking about you. 
Mm. So like you're you're like don't don't make it seem like people are trolling you because they want to go out of their way. We're borderline forced to talk about the Knicks because they are in the epicenter of sports and basketball. But if that roster alone was in a city that was not a major market, it would not be talked about. So as much as Knicks fans, you know, get upset about trolling, that's really the only thing that we can talk about for your team. And what's kind of like sad is the word I'll use, but so KD comes out in that interview, I think it was on Hot 97, and was asked why he went to the Nets over the Knicks, and he said because the Knicks aren't cool or something, something along the lines. That's the headline, right, <laughs> that the Knicks aren't cool. And that was a story for four days, and it's, but that's like the story about the Knicks in, in this early preseason moment, is like KD saying, a Net player saying the Knicks aren't cool, and you just saw the backlash from Knicks fans screaming about that on Twitter about how angry they are and it's like it's not a backlash so much as like a tidal wave of butthurt that's yeah. what it really is and it's just like <laughs> I, I'm enjoying this moment let me just say I'm enjoying the moment as we are in now this current moment this well, state well, of the and, world and you have to the Nets have had some very very dry years the Nets have had some very very dry years even when when I was thinking about how and where I was going to end my career people were like would you go to the Nets and I was like and this is even after I won a championship in in, in Cleveland, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can get my head beat in, you know, for, for 56 <laughs> games a year, right? And this is a franchise that I love and care about. Um, but I really think that, you know, there's a sense of entitlement that comes with Nick fans, and which I it, it's so misguided. I think it's a New York thing, which I love. New York is my favorite city in the world. But I think it's a sense of entitlement that is so misplaced. Um, and, you know, you have, I think the franchise is doing a little bit better job to be like, hey, we should treat ourselves like a small market. But make no mistake, the, the, the Knicks have gotten free agents. Getting Carmelo was a big free agency move, right? Getting Amari Stoudemire was a big free agency move. They've had big free agency moments right, in the last 10 years, they just, in the last couple of years, they have not made themselves nearly as attractive. Now, understand, look at the Clippers, look at the Nets. These were teams that could have been in rebuilding years, and because of the way they developed talent, because of the way they worked extremely hard and together, like, you had some kind of mid-major guys make it to the postseason and make themselves attractive because, like, hey, like, if I go there, it won't be, it won't be, me by myself, right? You look at what, what Lou Williams did um, in, in that game last night and look at the bench play for, uh, uh, for the Clippers. You look at Brooklyn and all the things that they were able to accomplish. They made themselves attractive to free agents because it's like, yo, I like the way they play. I like how hard they play. I like that they've made it to the postseason without me. It's not me coming to be a savior. Yeah, and so th- there was a report this summer that infuriated Nets fan base and it had to do with movement of personnel but it was not movement of players it was a movement of a broadcast team you were a part of this report it was that in the New York Post this summer the Clippers tried to go after you Kustak and Ian Eagle what what how how far were those conversations because people were outraged at least on my timeline they were like there's no way we can lose Kustak Eagle and RJ, that would be devastating I, to the league. I, I I think some of these things are are um, are a little embellished. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I will say this, you know, there, you know, as I'm getting into this and I'm trying to get better every game, every every day, every year. Um, there was talk, you know, there was talk, but there was talk around uh, around the league. You know, I just signed a new contract with ESPN. 
Um, you know, I did so much stuff. I did stuff for CBS. I did stuff for the Pac-12. I did stuff all over. So those, these type of negotiations aren't aren't new. Uh, as far as Ian and Sarah, I can't really speak for other people's negotiations and other sure. people's contract situation. Um, but but I, I do know that Sarah is one of the best in the business, and any franchise would be lucky to have her. Ian is one every award as a broadcaster could win uh, and has been doing it since he was 25 years old. And so, you know, I, I feel so honored and blessed that I'm a part of such a great, great um, um, Yes Network um, group because it's like I get better. I'm going to be calling a couple of nets or a couple of games for ESPN this year. And the fact that I get to sit next to Ian and Sarah, right, that's no different than sitting next to Mike Breen and, and Doris Burke. So when I get to sit next to these people and it makes me sharper, it makes me better. And I, I swear iron sharpens iron. And so when you have, when you, I'm sitting next to them, they make me better every day. So I think the Nets fans should be very, very excited that they have this, this high level of quality uh, on every broadcast, including Ryan Rucco and Michael Grady. They're just, they have a very, very talented team. Jim Snarko has been a long, long uh, mainstay. With and so, you know, I, I just feel fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah, and so you're—I mean, I'll—I'll I'll give you plaudits here because you immediately out of the gate were um, like awesome. You were a natural at it. You've done something that very few people can do in terms of in-the-game analysis, which is to go from having almost a talk show-like vibe to then breaking down a play, which is a rare ability because most people can do one or the other, and typically it's hard to sort of bridge the gap during the flow of a basketball game, but. Were there things you were surprised by or, or that you felt like you really learned a lot within that first year of broadcasting that you almost had no clue that existed before? You know, I mean, you've been around, of course, basketball broadcasting your whole life, but you were a player. Is there anything that sort of came up that you were like, I can't believe this is how you have to do this or this process, and this is the thing I have to get better at? Well, I think there's a lot of politics that go into it, things that you can't say, things that you shouldn't say, things that you should steer clear from, and, you know, I... I get talking to, you know, maybe about once a month or so, you know, and I said some pretty outlandish stuff on the air. And What's an example of something I, you said yeah. that you're not? Oh, let's, yeah, let's relive it. What, what is an example that, that I, you know what, I've just, I've talked talk about childbirth on air. Uh, yes. I made a, I made a color commentary joke uh, with Ian Eagle and you know, he was like, oh, you know, so-and-so will be doing color commentary. And I was like, Ian, we prefer the term African American, uh, and he was just—he was—he was. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, 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 Richard, you're still learning the broadcasting yeah. terms, yeah. right? And that's something that my my my—I won't say success is not the right because I've had no success, but me growing and getting better, um, sitting next to Ian, a person that can handle that type of humor and run with it and make it amazing. Uh, you know, Ian said, Hey, we were talking about nicknames and he was like, Well, did Channing Fry have any nicknames for you? And I was like, Ah, he just he just used to call me Dick And Ian like stopped for a second and I was like, Well, Ian, that is my name yeah, And it was just like whenever you can make the best in the business freeze or, or I think I made him snort one time, he was laughing so hard. Uh it, it it's it's so awesome. So um, just learning the differences. Like I, I was fortunate to do get up this morning. So you have these quick sound bites and you're kind of be lively. And then you go and do a game tonight where it's very, very different. You have 10 seconds to make a point and just trying to learn the cues and the timing of it. It's all very, very different, but it's a challenge. And it's something that I really, really enjoy. I think I remember you, you saying on the air once, 
Um, and I don't know if this, but you talked about how I do remember the birth comment, by the way, and I thought it was immediately hilarious. And also because I'm a new father, I was like that people will be, some people will be angry, but the wrong, you know, it's fine. Everyone's okay. But, but, and that's the thing. It's like angry. I said, I said, I said, you know, it's the second, it's the second baby, just one good push and it's over. Right. (laughs) I'm only six. I, 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 that's what I said. I was like, Oh look, they're up by 10 with two minutes to go. It's like, this is the second baby. One good push and it's over. And I was like, one good. And I was like, look, I have two little boys. My wife was in labor for 23 hours on the first one. And she was an hour for, for, she was in labor for four with the second one. You know, a couple of good pushes and it was over. That, like, you know, that's I wasn't trying, not I'm not trying to be, it, it, yeah, these the are literally part. scientific terms that I have made up. And, and I think you, didn't you say your, your son's middle name is Danger? Uh, I know you made oh, some joke about yeah. that and you said his, his wanted, nickname's Little Dick Danger. Danger. She, <laughs> yeah, I wanted Danger. She wouldn't let me have it. So his middle name is Dominus, which yeah. is Latin for Lord, which is derived is like the Latin origin of Danger. So his name is still Dick Dominus or or, or Dick Lord Dick if you're Lord. using the Latin or like <laughs> term. So it, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. I, I don't like she does. She's not too keen on it, um, but I think it's the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. Um, so here's a weird one for you. Did a deep dive in preparation for this this uh, interview here. <laughs> My research showed me dug up a 2008 article from a local paper in Syracuse, New York describing Tom T. Squared Taylor and his competitive Halo uh, tutoring services. And it specifically mentioned you as one of his two high-profile clients, the other Gilbert Arenas. Um, So two-parter here, are you still a disciple of the T. Squared School of Halo? And if not, which games are we going to go pro in next? Is uh, Gordon Hayward well, getting you into PC gaming yet? That's the next question. Yeah, so those guys got. I see those guys. I played with Gordon in Utah for a brief year, and um, you know he's very, very good. And I think gaming. Uh, you know, I, I'm at that age where we we grew up on Nintendo, and then I was in my very early 20s when when uh, it kind of went to the internet, where you can play against people all over the world, which mm-hmm. really launched competitive gaming, in my opinion. Um, I like T squared was, was, uh, a friend. Right. And so we would play together and he would show me things and, you know, if I have no problem, you know, you, you use your friends for, use your friends for clientele booth. So I, I have no problem with that, but it's so funny. We were talking about that in 08 and we were playing together in 04, 05, 06. And now here you are, we're, you know, about to hit 2020 and this is a real thing. This is not, not that gaming is a billion dollar industry because it's been that for, for, 20 years, but now that competitive gaming is becoming a billion dollar industry. And I think that's something that, you know, is, is, is cool. It's unique. It's real. Anytime you have something that's competitive and something that kids want to do, try and find a way to nurture it because there are opportunities within to build brands. You have kids that are making YouTube channels, right. And having millions and millions of followers. I think that's very, very similar because it does take the same type of effort and focus. Yeah. Are you, are you watching things on Twitch at all? Are you familiar with this platform? Honestly, it's, you know, once this is the thing, had I really retired, retired, Mm -hmm. then I would have got back into gaming, but my retired basically means I retired and then, um, uh, I started doing this, uh, broadcasting, which is even more work. So I got two little boys, so I don't get as nearly as much and it's addictive. Once you start, you get competitive and then it's hard to kind of turn it off. I'm in a K hole right now too. Playing too much. No, I get you. (laughs) Um, so I get you. we're, we, we got, you know, 
what are we? We're three hours away from game time or whatever it is. It's pretty crazy yeah. to think about as we embark on this net season. Is there are there things that you're you're specifically looking at for this team that you want to little indicators to be like, okay, here if this guy does this or if this player rises to this level, then the Nets can be this type of team. Are there certain players or or specific moments that you're really looking for as we enter the season to see how good of a team the Nets are? I, I think if, if we were going to pick one is that I think some uh, somebody really has to step up. One or two guys are going to have to step up and probably sacrifice their offense, not in a bad way. You know, you might go from 15 to 12, but I think someone needs to step up and be a high-level perimeter defender, right? Mm-hmm. There, you're going to need guys that are out there that their only job and their only focus is going to be to shut down and defend. Uh, because you look at these leagues, and if you want to make a run, you're going to have some really good perimeter guys. If you look at Houston, um, you look at um, uh, the Clippers, you're going to need guys that can just defend those guys on a given night. And I can say this from a guy that has that has scored points and had to defend, whether it's Karis LeVert or Spencer Dimwitty, uh, Joe Harris. Like somebody's going to have to step down and be like, hey, every night you're going to get the best perimeter player on the other team, and every night you have to take that challenge. And that takes away from your offense. It does. That's why the best two-way player is a title now, because guys that can go out there, score 20, and shut down or give the best the best uh, offensive player on the other team problems, that is a gift, right? That is a gift. And, and, and the Clippers were gifted two of the best, if not the two best, uh, in the in, in this league, especially on the perimeter side, in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So, uh, I think for the for the Nets to really go by one more tier to have home court, they're going to need one of those guys, whether it's Spencer or Torian or or uh, or Karras, step up and say every night I want to be on the best player on the other team on the perimeter side. I need one to be a defensive stopper. For uh, for our team, and and I think that's going to be the next step because if everyone's going out there trying to figure out how to score, how to how to score, then you're just going to have a scoring battle. And at some point in time, you need to play defense. So obviously, we hope to have you back, but I do want to ask one sort of general NBA question. I've always really been interested in, um, and this is about go, when you go on the road to go to certain cities. There's always a thing of like when you go to Miami, you know that the road team is at a disadvantage because guys are going out in Miami. And then yeah. look at the other end of the spectrum. Everyone says Utah is um, about the deadest of a town that you could go to in the NBA. Do you agree with that? And why is Utah such a, a dead town? Well, I think it's, it's the, 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 there's not a ton of nightlife. And as whatever, we, whatever we can say, we, like the, the, the average age of an NBA player is like 24 years old. So you have guys that are young. Um, they, you know, like to have fun. I was the exact same way. And so you're looking, if you have an off night in a town, if you want to go out and just grab a drink and have fun, right, there's certain towns like Miami, it doesn't matter. Sunday to Sunday, every single night, there's something to do. Where Utah might be a, just a Friday or a Saturday night, a night town. And there's liquor restrictions. There's all these different things. So it's just a different town. Uh, but I don't think Utah is the worst one 
<laughs> uh, and I stand by that one. What's uh, the worst? I don't one? think Utah is the worst one because you have like I live there, and you have Park City, you have the Sundance Film Festival. Mm-hmm. There are things that go on in in that winter that that make it uh, a, but, a fun town. But Richard, you're uh, but you're there, there a cultured words. man who wants to go see Sundance. You know, go to Sundance, go to the film festival. <laughs> Sundance is about the parties; it's not about the movies. Okay, let's, okay. Let's, 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 <laughs> any film festival is really about the like for the people that are in the the, the the business it might be about that everyone else that goes it's about the party is there one party that you remember from Sundance or you're like looking around and you're thinking like holy crap here's like Leo DiCaprio here's like because I because I, I was at this is no big deal oh, I was okay. at, here we go I was at a screening of American Sniper when American Sniper came out wow rode the okay. elevator with Bradley Cooper <laughs> and wow. at the party was De Niro DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man no big deal wow um, is there like oh, once? What was that? What was their nickname? The Pussy Posse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that was basically yeah. the whole yeah. Pussy Posse. Without yeah, e. without e. I was yeah. rolling up there. You guys can bleep. You guys can bleep that out if there's kids. I'm no. sorry. Nah, that's all right. You're fine. no kids. Um, okay. But yeah. Anyways, I won't make you go into your party Sundance night nightlife. We can do that no, another wh- time. Wh- well, um, <laughs> no, I will say this, man. You know what? One thing where we'll spoil you. And I was always taught, hey, you can't burn the candle on both ends. You can't go out at home and on the road. So I lived in New York. So I lived in New York for so many years. So a lot of the times it would be, at least in my, my main going out years. Um, um, it, so it was like, if we would land in Miami and they were like, hey, you're going to go out? I was like, no, because my buddies are going to a party tomorrow night in New York. So I'm going to go out there. So there would be a lot of times where I would just say no to whatever was going on on the road. And then I would, you know, go out because I just, I love New York and I love the energy. And when you're in New York, you know, you can see as many people, like you can see on any given night, you can walk into a restaurant and see everyone that you, it looks like an Us Weekly magazine party. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that when you travel in this week and you're fortunate to be in certain cities, you're going to rub elbows with certain people. And that's part of the, that's part of the, the fun of being, you know, young and, and, and having people know your name and having a lot amount of money. All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. I know you got to, you got to get out to Barclays and, uh, are you, are you doing the game tonight, Richard? I am doing the game. I'm doing the game tonight and I'm doing the game on Friday and doing get up, did get, get up this morning, do get up tomorrow and do get up Friday morning. And I go home Saturday morning. All right. Say some really crazy stuff on get up. Uh, for oh, us. oh, I did. I, I, I did. I told them that I, I said today I can run right now. Today I can run a four six forty, and they didn't. They didn't <laughs> find that funny. All right, that's perfect. They, huh? they didn't find that. Yeah. So. Uh, if you ever need someone to time you, we're here from you. We're uh, we're here for you. We can help you out with that. Um, thanks for joining us, man. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Richard. Yeah.